In our series, A String of Pearls, Dutch Buzz contributors speak to people who have made an exceptional contribution to our local community. People whose passion for what they do have had an added value for the city of The Hague. Rolling strikes, waves of resignations, chronic manpower shortages, and a growing communication gap between management and employees. They're all signs that our working world needs to change. The COVID pandemic did more than infect our bodies. It made us pause to re-examine how and when we work and for what purpose. Speaker, author, blogger, YouTuber, leadership coach and comic book illustrator. Fiona Passantino is an executive coach for matters of culture and engagement for companies large and small. Her latest book in the Comic Books for Executive series is titled The Handbook for Post-COVID Engagement. She started as an old-school comic artist, writer and game designer. In 2020, she received her Master's in Management and then worked as Creative Lead, Senior Visual Communicator, Innovation Advisor, Explainer and Storyteller for some of the largest multinationals in Europe. She's with us at Dutch Buzz today, and we're going to find out just what her engagement is with The Hague and, of course, the post-COVID engagement. Fiona, what turned you into a corporate storyteller? Well, I've been in the corporate world about uh, 10, 15 years now, and I like being in the thick of it. I like all the people, I like all the energy, the commotion, the excitement, and I also feel like the corporate world is a place that needs a bit of a different perspective and some creative energy. And what brought you to The Hague? Because that's where you live and work right now. Yes, just down the street. Uh, I live uh, near Kaigdan, so uh, near the beach. I've been in The Hague now for 13 years and in Holland in general for about 15 years, so a long time. Well entrenched, right? <laughs> yes, well, goed ingeburgerd, as they say. Uh, but in general, what brought me here was uh, um, a nice Dutchman, so about uh, 25 oh, years. do tell us the story, Fiona. <laughs> yes. I love romance. Oh. Well, we met um, quite a long time ago in Budapest, and we traveled around quite a bit uh, before landing here. This is a very good place to raise kids, so when the kids came along, this was the most practical place, and it has been a, a beautiful place to raise little guys. So they're older now, so um, we may just very well find ourselves in a small place in downtown Amsterdam. Who knows? Okay, now you've just written um, a book, a beautifully illustrated book called The Post-COVID Engagement. Yes, uh, the Handbook for Post-COVID Engagement. This is actually book two in a series uh, called The Comic Books for Executives. And why comic books? Well... I love the medium of comic books. It's undervalued because people see it as something for children or graphic novels for teenagers. But actually, this combination of high contrast imagery with very simple bursts of text is an extremely powerful medium. And in the first book, which is about post-COVID communication, we looked at what was happening to us during the pandemic and how visuals were used to communicate this very dangerous, the, the facts around the very dangerous virus. So continuing with that style and with that approach, you can talk, tackle any topic you want. And in particular, engagement is about how we feel at work, how we are supported 
inspired, informed, and how we bring our best to our jobs. Now, what did COVID do to us and our communities? Well, it did a lot, actually. Uh, it made us think, it gave us some time, and it was a an uncontrolled experiment on our entire planet. We had never been through this before, and we very well may go through this kind of thing again, but this lack of happiness and joy at work has been a trend for the last 20 years, slowly. It's what we call your quit rate. It's been high above average since 2009 and it's growing steadily. The pandemic forced us all underground, let's say. We were given as employees a great amount of trust to carry out our work without oversight and without having to appear at work. We overperformed in general, up to five to 10% higher productivity than before. And this turning point is when now we're coming back into the office, we're taking up the reins again of our normal life. We're all in a great hurry to forget what happened, but we can't get around the fact that the pandemic super sped our evolution into this hybrid digital world. And what I noticed coming back into the office again, into a corporate world, is there was this kind of break between management and employee. Employees were not keen to rush back to the office the way things were. Uh, productivity had gotten very, very high. So that level of productivity, the expectation was that that would remain very high, even though now we have our commutes, we have our office chit chat, we have our unexpected, unplanned new projects that happen when you come into an office. And the workload became very, very high unsustainably high. So the quit rate right at the peak of the pandemic and following the pandemic took a jump. And that's what we call this great resignation. In fact, the great resignation is not something that is purely pandemic related, but it was exacerbated by the pandemic. And where do you see that uh, in The Hague and uh, in the Netherlands? Well, I don't know if you remember, but uh, some months ago, we had a crisis at Schiphol. Yes, I actually <laughs> just came from the, uh, well, been through Schiphol not even a week ago, uh, and it's still chaos. Yes, it, it's one very clear example of how it shut down, just called personnel to court. So it was not enough people were there to carry out the basic jobs to run this operation. And it was well before Christmas too. Um, and well after the summer break. So how did that happen? There were just not enough people to fill the roles. People are quitting. People are leaving their jobs. When you'll recall, right at the beginning of the pandemic, the tourism and restaurant business went very quickly. All those people had to go home. A lot of them retrained, did different jobs, re-entered the workforce as different kinds of professionals. And so when the restaurant business and the tourism industry re-kicked up again, all those people were gone, or a large number of them. A lot of women had to quit during the pandemic because they were suddenly confronted with no childcare, and they left the workforce and since then have come back into it to some degree. And then what do you do when you're trying to scale up? You're trying to go back to normal, and the people aren't there anymore. And we have to re- evaluate the kinds of people that we want in our jobs. We have to think outside the box in terms of what are the kinds of people that we accept in our workforce in order to make this thing run again. So 
that you'll notice those kinds of things. You might also notice in restaurants that there are just not enough staff. You'll notice uh, the trains are, are uh, the schedule uh, as of this year is a lot lower. So you, you'll see it absolutely. Yeah. Now, how's your manual going to help corporate leaders and employees in, in general, really? Yeah, this is a book written with leaders in mind, but it's actually for anybody. It's for team leads. It's for people who work with other people, people who work in groups. It's, first of all, an awareness of what, where did this problem come from? What are we dealing with? And very simple steps to resolve it. Very simple habits that you can start forming to relieve some of the pain that we find in our workplace. Can you name some of those steps? Sure. Uh, the very first one is to listen uh, in a deep, structural way. This is a mindset and a methodology, what I call radical listening, which is you use a lot of different platforms and a lot of different methods to collect data from people on a wide variety of topics. So we all know the surveys, we all do the surveys, but the surveys are very one small way of talking about you know what's going on. Um, there's also structured workload reduction. A very large reason why we're quitting in such vast numbers is because of burnout and our workload is too high. And teams conduct a lot of rituals that are just busy work and admin. And to look at each one of your tasks that you have and examine them and say, is this something that's necessary? Is this something that's necessary? Is this just busy work? Is this a task that can be delegated externally? So we reduce the number of things that we actually have to do. And that includes meetings, no doubts. I've never met a, a nation with more meetings than the Dutch. We love our meetings and we love our agendas. And we like our meetings so much that we tend to not do very much without first having a meeting. Like that's our instinct. Consensus. Right, right. Consensus is great because it makes implementation really easy. If everybody agrees on the idea and the structure and what's going to happen, then you don't have to spend a lot of energy in making sure it actually does happen. However, the instinct to have a meeting and to quickly gather these people uh, and sit around a table together and work on your schedules and so on. This costs hours of time, especially when you have regular check-in meetings that don't actually move the ball forward. They're just check-in meetings. Yes. And you know, that didn't really happen during COVID time. We economized on the meetings and they were all online and, and pretty short and to the point. Yeah. Uh, first of all, because we had to. We, you know, our meetings were all by definition at our computers, so we were. it was easier to get together in that way. Uh, we could also do very quick ones where you could just log in for half an hour and it was very, very efficient. When you have people's physical presence and then the worst, this hybrid meeting situation where half the people are at a meeting and half the people are logging in, it's a very clunky animal. And meetings are not as effective as they used to be, either all live or all digital. So maybe it's possible to cut down the number of meetings and use a lot of offline tools to get consensus like um, Miro boards or uh, other technology like Google Docs where people can create something together uh, separately in their own time and then come together to move the ball forward in certain aspects but not use the meetings to read off a PowerPoint and deliver information. As you uh, pointed out, we um, in a time of great upheaval uh, a great need for change. 
Uh, do you see people accepting that and moving forward? I see certain people dying for change and certain people not wanting it at all. And it is cutting across uh, leadership versus employee lines. Um, I think leadership has an easier time to, when they are looking around a room and they see people in their chairs. It gives them a feeling of control and that they see that people are doing their jobs. If people are doing their jobs behind a computer in Bora Bora, you don't feel that same kind of trust. You have to have that trust before you even get started with that. So management is very keen to have things return to normal. Employees, on the other hand, largely like the freedom. They like the power. They feel that they have proven themselves, that they have delivered, and that now that they have proven that they can do this and decide for themselves whether they came in or how they work or how often they work, and please don't blur the lines between my family time and my weekends. And it feels like that has been taken away. And this trust that was built up and given so freely during the pandemic is now out of necessity. Out of necessity, yes. It's now somehow being retracted. And that causes quite a bit of... of yeah, it's, it's the feeling of, you don't trust me anymore? Yeah. One of the big reasons that we're quitting is that we don't feel valued, is that we're made to do a lot of last-minute tasks that are not necessary, that cut right into our evenings and our weekends, and that our valuable time as people is, is not respected. So there's that lack of trust. There's that lack of respect. There's also the fact that there's not adequate transparent communication into decision-making. Leaders are still going back to their going back behind closed doors, uh, creating policy and coming out, you know, Moses from the mountaintop with the new rules and, you know, here they are and uh, take it or leave it. Well, there is a bit of a crisis going on that an HR crisis, that there's just not enough people filling these vacancies because, you know, people are quitting. Um, there are not a lot of people out there looking for jobs right now. A lot of people are leaving to go on their own. A lot of people are becoming contractors. A lot of people are leaving the workplace, uh, workforce altogether to do something totally different or follow their passions. The pandemic also gave us a lot of time to think. Think about our lives. Think about what's important. Think about how we spend the hours of our lives and really reevaluate what we're doing. Why am I going to this job that I don't actually like. I'm missing my family. I'm missing my friends. I'm missing the simple joys of meditation in the morning or cooking because there's this frenzy to get out the door and grab a train and go to the office. It's kept us kind of so busy that we that time for reflection is gone. And then we have our social lives, our bubbling dinners out and our parties and our things that we do. That also keeps us from doing that deep thinking. That pandemic made us be undistracted alone with ourselves and really question what am I doing here? Why am I spending my time doing this? And what am I going to do from now on? And that's another reason why people are quitting. So this is very confrontational and a lot of companies are trying to solve it in the same old ways, which is offer more money, throw more people at the problem, hire more HR people, hire more recruiters, maybe give them bigger bonuses, but people are not out for a paycheck anymore. People need that meaning, purpose, mission, value, trust, feeling like they're connected. Uh, and there are a lot of these kinds of toxic old ways that need to be reevaluated. Yeah, and nodding. <laughs> 
agreeing, uh, but are, ta- are they taking this up? Some are, and, and some are not. Um, some are doing it, some are starting, some are hiring consultants, um, some are conducting research, um, some are deconstructing their physical offices and investing in little hubs. There's a chapter in the book on new work models as to ways to think about the office differently. Uh, there are companies that are allowing for certain numbers of days to be way off site. So go to Madeira, set yourself up there, work from there for two months, six months. There are companies that are engaging in exchange programs with other hubs. So spend six months in Singapore, turn it into an adventure. Uh, and because they see these different kinds of needs that have nothing to do with salary and they're meeting those needs. There are also companies that are doing the same old thing, reorgs every single year, shedding 10% of their staff and then rehiring them constantly in this kind of inhale, exhale of people. And if you do that, this is a, a kind of a cancer that spreads in your organization. Nobody really feels safe. Nobody really feels like their job is secure. So they'll work 12-hour days. And I think this old way of thinking is is going to run into some problems when they're compared with companies that are looking at it in a holistic way. These are human beings with full lives that we are taking care of. We need to to grow them to farm talent, not mine for talent and dig for it and then throw it away when it's finished or or look at talent like it's an, a, a disposable resource, but, but really invest in the people. Now, um, the strikes, the, they are desperately unhappy in the public transport sector at the moment. Is this a reflection of people not moving forward? I think that's a great visualization of what's going on. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the hours uh, that people are working. Um, they're being not a- enough personnel. Yeah, exactly. People are being asked to do more than they're expected to do. And the compensation is very limited and also meeting only one side of a human being, which is the financial. They say, okay, well, if you work a little bit of overtime, you'll get maybe 5% more money. But then are these people valued? Are they thanked? Is there a path forward for them? Do they belong to a larger community more than themselves? Are they celebrated? Maybe not. We've just had a, a quick look at your handbook, and it's it's, it's really it's beautifully illustrated. Um, I see that listening, you've devoted a whole chapter to listening. How can people improve the way they listen? Listening is a practice. It's not like you're a born listener. It's something you have to practice and do every day. The first rule is being present. So putting down the phone, we all have problems with this, not multitasking. You're not thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about that great movie yesterday. You're actually really in the moment with the person that you're with or the people uh, in the room that you're with. And train your mind to not wander from the topic and also not listen just so you can respond and say something clever. Just listen. Build silence in. I think a lot of people are desperately afraid of silence in conversation and they just jabber jabber to fill the silence. And if you don't allow for spaces to let things settle and sink in, then you can't really contemplate what somebody has said. So there's that. In terms of the book, How Listening Works, there there are a lot of little ways of doing it. Um, and that is collecting data. One is to just sit next to people you don't even know at the lunch table and talk to them. That's one. Uh, you get a lot of information that way. Uh, 
listening to strangers is really wonderful because you don't bring any kind of baggage to the conversation. The other is something really funny I call bean voting. If you have a question that you want to ask to a community, you set up a bunch of glass jars. Uh, what flavor muffins do you like best? It's a silly example. Blueberry, chocolate, granola, oatmeal, whatever. And then you give them a pile of beans and people come and they throw beans in. It's funny. It's very visible. People see that you're out there listening. And then a week later, guess what? You have blueberry muffins. You, you build trust in the process of listening so that when the survey time comes around, people think, oh, okay, somebody's listening. So I'm going to take part in this survey. And then other things like quick polls at the beginning of meetings where you're asking people's opinion about silly things or more important things, how many days a week at the office, then you start to get more interesting information. Good. Another important uh, chapter in your book is the one on purpose. Right. This is something that's really very interesting because it trumps salary, um, especially among young generation. So we're looking at Gen Z and millennial workers. They're now coming into the workforce. And for them, purpose, value, what I'm actually doing with my day is a more compelling token than their salary. So somebody will go for a lower salary, but something that has a higher value in their daily lives. And they can look in the mirror and wake up and say, I'm doing this with my day. It's not earning as much as if I were working for an oil company or a you know, tobacco company or something like this. But I'm actually giving my time to improve the lives of other people or animals or our environment. And this is funny in our generation. I guess we're more salary-based or, or cynical. Yeah. I don't know. What. Yeah. But um, this is now something that companies are starting to understand about this generation. And the funny thing is, is we complain about this generation, but they're actually right. <laughs> they're the ones, they're, the, they're right. We're the ones that need to learn how to see our lives better. And... If companies make everything they do about their purpose, they have a much better chance retaining and keeping talent than uh, a lot of these companies that say, come to us and uh, there's a foosball table in the corner and we have pizza night on Fridays. That's not how you reach young people, actually. Uh, so purpose, it trickles down and it trickles up. And if you are reminded every single day, physically at work, visually, You're here because of this. This one person was helped because of the services or the products that we provide. This human being uh, has a new kidney because of blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And this actually is more compelling than quarterly numbers or um, how did we do in our last you know, conference, let's say. And switching the conversation from how we're doing, how much we're profiting as a company Switching it to what are the people we're helping will do a lot to instill purpose. Are you asking for radical changes here? Oh, is this a natural process? What needs to be done? Well, I think all change is radical, but no change is quick. So these are very small things that people do every single day, maybe five minutes, very minor changes. But as you know, small changes over time add up to radical change. Nobody will change radically in a sustainable way overnight, but people can take the 30 days it requires to learn a new habit and, and incorporate these very small habits into their day. Let's say a CEO takes five minutes a week 
to sit at a coffee table with people that he doesn't know in who's working for him. That's a very small habit. Maybe he upgrades that and sits at a lunch counter once a week. Okay, that's a very small change. But let's say in the course of two years, you have somebody who's been hermetically sealed from the rest of the staff in board meetings all day long, never seen, a year later is walking the halls, talking to people, knowing their names, asking about their kids, posting on Instagram in the company feed. That is a radical change, but it's over the course of a year and it only took five minutes here and there. That's so interesting, Fiona. Who's going to put the energy into it? This from, from bottom up or top down? Or both? Well, I think it's happening whether we like it or not. And and all this book is doing is, is just shining a light on what's already happening. There's pressure from the bottom up. There's pressure from the sides. You see that um, suppliers and partners are looking for changes too. Customers are looking for changes. They're looking for vis visible proof that a company that they're doing business with is doing it the right way and treating their people right. Um, you see the kind of press, for instance, what happened at Philips, uh, the effect that that's having on the company itself, what happened to the mission, what happened to the purpose there, how are people being treated with these massive changes that have to be uh, carried out. Um, I think if you if you don't change, I think it is a time when a lot of companies are going to have some problems. And Obviously, nobody has to change, um, but I think that it is it is happening either way. Why did you choose to illustrate your book in a, in a humorous way? Well, I think humor has a wonderful way of breaking down our resistance. Uh, if you have a very difficult story to tell, and this is not pretty, <laughs> this is not a story that a lot of executives want to hear. Um, and if you encase it in a funny wrapper, then your your boundaries go down your your let's say your walls go down you let the humor in and the message comes in too and it's also fun to read it's faster to read when it's uh, you know attached to something funny what are some of the takeaway messages of your book of your manual this called it a manual oh thanks um i think patience listening looking at people differently like human beings showing respect rethinking our future of work, rethinking the physical office, looking at the day, your work day, as something that's potentially toxic, seeing where the pain is and, and really trying to find the pain, not just send out a survey and have them tick boxes and then forget about it, but really be committed to listening to where the problems are and, and visually and um very high profile making changes that everybody can see and carrying them out where can people find your manual is it online yes you, there's a paperback edition um, in the Netherlands there's also a paperback edition uh, on Amazon there's a Kindle edition on Amazon and uh, on Apple Books coming out in about another week and of course I can always send over a PDF uh, as need be how have you uh, applied these principles to your own professional life? Well, uh, I was uh, the culture and engagement manager at Danone for uh, some time and before that at Philips. And this was my daily job, was to listen to people, try to understand what was going on and help bring that message to leadership to make changes to 
ease people's pain as much as possible and make the workplace um, as great a place as could be. So this is right up, you know, what I was doing every day. Fiona, one last question. How do people get hold of this wonderful book? Well, uh, it's not just the book. There's also a blog uh, that I put out maybe twice a month. I'm doing a YouTube channel, uh, also a little bit of podcasting. And you go to postcovidhandbook.com and there you can find the books. Uh, you can sign up for this little blog comic. You know, you get your comic once a month and have a look at all the recent articles. So that's basically postcovidhandbook.com. We've been listening to Fiona Pasantino, corporate storyteller and writer. Thank you for once again joining us on Dutch Buzz and all the best with your manual. I can't imagine anybody who doesn't need it right now. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Dutch Buzz, your listening ear in The Hague.